559. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to read verses 1 through 20. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 20. Let's give our attention to God's perfect word. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me, or is with me. Whether, whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. whom he did not raise if it's true that there's, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true. Thank you that Jesus really rose from the dead as we celebrate it today. Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would empower me to preach nothing more or less than what's here in this text. I pray for their hearts and ears that they would be good soil plowed up by the Holy Spirit so that the seeds that are planted would bear good fruit. Those are my two requests, Father. I pray them in the name of Christ. Amen. Amen. I don't know if you've gotten this feeling, or maybe someone's even said it to you, that truth is what I feel is right. The truth is what I feel is right. You know, fact-checking is probably soon going to become a thing of the past. Why, why, why fact? If, if it feels right to you, it must be right. There is this notion in our, in our world, or you might have had someone say to you, I'm, I'm glad you're a Christian. I'm glad that that's good for you. That's not for me. If that's fulfilling and helpful, I'm happy for you. I like to think of God like a fairy or a grandfather. You know, whatever, fill in the blank, right? You've probably heard all kinds of crazy things, right? Whatever they think of God like. Well, where did you get this, you might ask. Who knows? They maybe made it up. It, 
It doesn't really matter if it's true or not, as long as you believe it. Kids, that is false. That is a lie. It's not true. It does matter if it's true or not. Whether you feel like it's right or not, this passage today speaks directly to those lies with great clarity. And I'm thankful for it. It proves the opposite. The resurrection really happened, and the resurrection changes everything. Look at page 7. You'll see the outline of how we're going to look at that, the resurrection. So what are the implications because the resurrection of Christ really happened? Three implications. The gospel is true, death is defeated, and life has meaning. So let's look at that first one. The gospel is true. Look back at verse 1 again. So he started by saying, let me remind you. Now, what does he need to remind them of? He says, the gospel. He says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached. Now, why, why even remind them? Well, I don't know if you've realized this. I have. That we as humans are quite forgetful. I'm very forgetful. And then sometimes, maybe I don't forget the fact, but the emotions that go with it slowly dissipate. right? Or things get mixed up. And that's what's happened here. When you take away the resurrection, you have a real problem. And we're going to see that as we look at this. Um, kids, I want you to look for, or even if you have a pen, you can circle it, the word which in verse 1 and 2. W-H-I-C-H. So let me read those two verses, and you look for that word. All right? And then we'll figure out why is it there so many times. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which I received, in which you stand. And by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. How many times was it there? That's right, three. Three times. He's, he's doing this logical progression. He's saying, I received it, I gave it to you, you believed it, and are being saved by it. Now, how are they being saved? The text says, if you hold fast to the word that I preached, ooh, this is scary, unless you believed in vain. Unless you believe, it's possible to believe in one sense in vain. It is to kind of believe some version of truth that you've kind of mixed in or taken stuff out you don't like. And Paul's warning, you're in trouble. You can believe in vain if that's the case. The passage will continue to unpack this. Okay, so now he's going to go on and explain the gospel that he preached. Look look at verse 3. He says, I delivered to you. All right, we're going to see the same progression again. Watch watch it. I delivered to you as of first importance what I received. What he received. Here's the gospel. That Christ died for our sins. There's a lot of theology in those couple words. For Christ died for our sins. First, we need to lay a little foundation here. Do you self-identify as a sinner? I do. Do you identify as a sinner? I mean, really, if you're honest, have you really lived up to your own standards? Man, forget God's standards, just your own standards. I haven't. No, none of us have completely lived up to even our, our own version of what we'd like to be. Right? We have not lived up to any standard. The Bible calls this sin. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, as it says. Yeah, if you don't believe this, just ask God. He is very clear of his opinion of this, that we are all sinners. None of us lived up to his standards. Okay, so that's the foundation. But then what he's really going to focus on in this section is the continuity and the authenticity, it's a mouthful, authenticity of his message. Look at three as it goes on. 
So, he, oh, there's another part of this. So it says, in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised, and on the third day, and again, it says, in accordance with the scriptures. So you have both things. He died for our sins, and he rose on the third day. The two halves. You need both of those. You don't just need a, a dead Jesus. You need a risen Jesus. And that's, that's what we celebrate today, and we're going to look at. All right, and this is a first importance. That line, in accordance with scriptures, what he's saying is, not only, so first thing he's saying, I received something and I faithfully gave it to you. Right? Like a faithful messenger, I delivered it just as I received it. Then he's saying, this message is not new, it's not novel. He says, it's in accordance with the scriptures. The, the Old Testament already preached this. Do you know that? If you were to read Isaiah 53, you could not read that chapter and not conclude this is talking about Jesus. Now, if you don't know, Isaiah was a prophet that lived 700 years. That's like twice as old as our country is, and well longer than that, right? Maybe three times. That's a long time, 700 years, and he's describing exactly. Let me read you two verses, Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. Now, tell me if this doesn't sound like Jesus. For he was pierced for our transgressions. Transgressions, another word for sin. He was crushed for our iniquities, another word for sin. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity or the sin of us all. Now tell me that's not Jesus. That's absolutely Jesus. 700 years before. So Paul is saying, look, this is not a new idea. There's other verses that talk about the resurrection. In accordance with the scriptures, this is not new. Paul is saying, It wasn't enough that Christ died for the penalty of sins. He also rose on the third day. Now, we celebrate that every Sunday, but especially today on Easter. Now, kids, I got another task for you. I'm going to read verses 5 through 8, and I want you to circle every time you see the phrase, He appeared. All right? Look for that phrase, He appeared. Verse 5. So after He said He died, He was raised, according to the Scriptures, 5 says, And He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. How many did you find? Yeah, four. Four times. What's the point he's trying to get? He wants to get across a whole lot of people. This was not done in a corner of secret. The disciples saw it, but then 500 people saw it. Now, why is this important? There are people who will argue that the resurrection isn't real because the body must have been stolen and people must have been hallucinating. And just imagine that they saw something. Now, hallucination is generally a personal thing, not like a big group thing with 500 people, right? Let's look at that more. So lots and lots of people. And then his point is, you can go fact check this. This letter to 1 Corinthians, how long do you think this was written after the resurrection? Like 20 years. You think of something that happened 20 years ago. Could you fact check something? If I tell you something that happened 20 years ago, could you fact check it? Absolutely. Most all of you were alive then. This is true then. He said there are plenty of people. You can go ask that the resurrection happened. That's why he's making this point. Now you say, well, that's nice for them, but they're all dead now. It's not 20 years later anymore, right? It's 2,000 years later. What good does that do you? It does you a lot of good. Let me tell you why. There's actually three important evidences. And if you are already a Christian, you should know this because at some point someone's going to question you. 
and say, why do you say this is true? How can you believe that some man was God and that he died and he rose again? Three important evidences. One is the empty tomb. There are lots of other people that claim to be God through history, but they stayed in the tomb. They didn't come out, right? So you had an empty tomb. That's a big thing. But then you have all these witnesses. Now let's, let's play this. What if we said um, empty tomb, but no witnesses? Well, then we'd say they stole the body, right? Now, what if you had a sealed tomb and lots of witnesses? You'd say you're hallucinating because the body's still in there behind that rock, right? But having both together is very, very strong historical evidence. So even though we can't check, when this was written, I guarantee this teaching would not have stood in that age. Now, sure, you can write something. I could write something about 1500 or 1400, and there's no one alive that can, can say anything different. But if I write something that happened in 2003, it's not going to last very long, right? It'll be refuted by everyone who's alive. You see that? So you can believe in the Bible, in the account of the resurrection, because there is an empty tomb. And when it was written, there were plenty of people you could ask. And it stood. Because this lasted, the first generation, you know that it was reliable. There's a third thing. The third thing is change lives. What do you think I mean by change lives? You might remember all the apostles, they were like hiding in a locked room. They were not boldly proclaiming this message right after Jesus died. It was after the resurrection that then they go risk their lives. Many, most of them will die. Most of them will be tortured and executed for this. They knew they were confident in what they had seen. This was very common. So those three things, empty tomb, lots and lots of witnesses, and changed lives. Something real happened. Something real happened. So some might say to you, well, that's great. Whatever fulfills you. You say, no, being a Christian is not always fulfilling. There are times it's actually really hard. This is, this is reliable historical evidence. You just got, I'm worried. You're talking about like philosophy and like good feelings. I don't want to talk about that. You got to do something with this. A guy that was dead, stop being dead. You just got to deal with it, right? You have to figure out something, right? Does that make sense? So when people say, oh, that's nice for you. I'm glad you, you believe in this risen Savior because it makes you feel good. No, I believe in it because it really happened. And it is fulfilling in the big picture. Sometimes being a Christian is really hard. I don't want to sell you any other way because it's true. We believe it because it just happened. The gospel is true. So let's keep looking at the passage. What does he go on? He's going to go on. Did you look how he self-describes himself? Verse 8, he says, as one untimely born. Translation, like premature birth or worse. Now, that's, that's not really a self-exalting way to talk about yourself. Right, I was a preemie. But he's, he's very humble. Look, it, goes, it gets even worse. Look at verse 9. He says, I'm the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I did what? Persecuted the church of God. Do you realize Paul ministered in a context where he killed some of their relatives. That is awkward. If I was here and I had killed some of your relatives 10 years ago, this would be very awkward. And say, hey, I'm here. I'm the least of all the pastors because I killed some of your relatives. Now, just to take a minute and think. What was the, what's the worst thing you've ever done? What's the thing you were most ashamed of in your whole life? Just take a second and think of it. Don't worry, I'm not going to ask you to share it. You got it? Okay, if I asked Paul that question, he absolutely would say this. Oh yeah, that I killed a bunch of Christians. That's the thing I'm most ashamed of. Why in the world could Paul write this in a letter? 
You are not writing that in any letters. The thing you thought of, you don't normally talk about that. Um, uh, Paul, I'm going to get my name right. Paul is talking about that because the gospel is real. You see, Jesus died for his sins, all of his sins. And when Jesus rose, because the resurrection is real, Paul no longer identifies with his worst things. Do you see that? These verses would not exist if the resurrection was not real. Paul would never talk like that. You can talk like that. You could actually identify and acknowledge the worst thing you've ever done because of the resurrection, just like Paul does. It's really amazing. All right, kids, I have another word for you. Look, this time I'm not going to tell you what the word is. I'm going to read verse 10, and you find the word that's repeated three times. You ready? But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is in me. The word was what, kids? That's right. It must be an important word because he said it three times. It absolutely is an important word, central to the gospel. Grace. Do you know what that word means? It means undeserved favor. Grown-ups, you've ever been pulled over by a police officer and he let you off with a warning. That was grace. You deserved a ticket and you got off, right? God can't do that. God can't just let you off. Why? Because he, something called justice. Justice is the opposite of grace. Justice is you do the crime, you do the time, right? That's justice. God is both just and he's loving. So we got a problem. Grace is is made possible because of what Christ did. Christ paid the ticket so you can get off easy. Grace. Grace is what enables Paul to talk that way about himself. It's so, so important. As verse 2 said, Christ died for our sins. Look at verse 11. It goes on. He says, Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. This morning I'm preaching. The question is, Are you believing? Do you believe there really was a resurrection of Jesus Christ? That he really rose? If you do, it changes everything. At least it should. I don't want you to believe in vain, as verse 2 said. I don't want you to believe some false version of the gospel that you invented. Believing in the bodily resurrection of Christ is critical, essential to Christianity. Easter is a big deal. Because I don't know if your parents ever, when you were little in the pool, you would like climb on their back and they would swim. What happened when they went underwater? They'd say, hold your breath, right? And you'd both go down. Now, if they don't come back up, you don't come back up. I've probably used this analogy before here. I like it a lot. This is what the resurrection is. When Jesus went down into death, we're right on his back. He doesn't come back up. You don't come back up. The resurrection is pretty critical for us. The gospel is not good news without a risen Savior. It has no substance without the resurrection. When Christ rose, he proved that our sins were paid in full. You might ask, now, what if, I, what if we didn't have it? I, I want to kind of analyze, what if there was no resurrection? What if Jesus died for your sins, but he didn't rise? Let's look at that for a second. It is your assurance that your sins were paid in full. If he did not rise, it would mean that there likely was still wrath not paid yet for you. Let me illustrate this. And when I was in high school, there was a big news story about some fool who went to Indonesia or somewhere and, and broke into a bunch of cars, okay? And uh, he, got, he got caught, and the punishment there was caning. 
And so it's all over the news. What are we going to do? There's a U.S. citizen who's going to be caned. And if I remember right, it's been a long time. I think his family didn't oppose it. <laughs> he was going to learn a really important lesson, right? And so I think the guy got caned wherever and probably learned a really important lesson about not breaking into cars. Okay, so imagine that scenario. What if his dad said, you know what? I'm going to go over there and take the caning for you, okay? Dad goes over there, goes in to be caned, and he doesn't come out. His dad dies. Now, what is the son thinking? I don't even know if, if he received all the, all the blows. Whatever he deserved, he was going to get 20. Maybe my dad died after 10. He was an old man. You, do not, you have no certainty that your sins are actually paid for if Jesus doesn't emerge. Maybe he only absorbed half the wrath and died. Does it make sense? Because Jesus emerged. If his dad came out, you know the punishment is finished. You need a resurrection for you to have any assurance that all your sins were actually paid for. Does that make sense? It's really, really important. You need a risen Savior if you're going to have any certainty that he paid all your sins. Kids, you know the Bible story of David and Goliath? That big old guy is giant, he was nine feet tall. David faced him, didn't he? If our king can't defeat Goliath, neither can we. If David didn't defeat Goliath, Israel was doomed, right? If Christ didn't defeat death, you are doomed. That brings us to our second point. Death is defeated. Look at verse 12. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead? See, this is what's going on in Corinth. They didn't believe that there was a resurrection of the dead. Now look at the logic. He says, but if there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. That's bad. I would be wasting my time right now if there was no real resurrection and you would be wasting your time. We'd be misrepresenting God because we said, God said that he rose him. But if he didn't, but look, he goes on. He said, the dead are not raised. Not even Christ has been raised. He's repeating his logic to make the point. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. Futile means worthless. Without the resurrection, your faith is worthless. And you are still in your sins. It means we're all still sinning. I'm still sinning. I'm working on doing less of it, but I still do it. And I'm in them. That means I have wrath waiting for me. If Jesus did not raise, you have wrath waiting for you. Now, if you aren't a Christian here this morning, you have wrath, wrath waiting for you, if I can say the word right. And that's serious. And I don't, want to, I don't want that to stay that way. I often tell this analogy of a beer ta- or bar tab. In a bar, now they, everything's with technology. In the old days, they had a little pad of paper, right? And they wrote your name on it. Every time you got a drink or got any food, they wrote it down, right? At the end of the night, you had to close out your tab, right? Some of you grown-ups know what I'm talking about. Okay, so what if you and a friend go in and are having a great time and you, you say, hey, I'll pay anyone's bar tab today. I'm in a good mood, Okay. So a couple of guys come over and give you their tab. You pay for it, cash out, and you leave. Now some other guy tries to leave. Bartender says, hey, where are you going? He says, well, that nice man offered to pay my tab. He said, well, did he pay it? Did you give it to him? Was I, did I have to give it to him? Yes, you had to give it to him. Someone has to pay for those drinks. He did not pay for those drinks. You, my friend, have to pay for those drinks. I hope you see the connection to the gospel. Jesus died for sins. He offered to everyone. I'm offering to everyone this morning. I've, I've been given permission to offer you eternal life through this book. Now, it's possible for you to leave and still have an open bar tab. 
And say, that was, that was such a nice message this morning. You actually have to give that tab to Jesus and say, Jesus, I have a long tab. I need someone to pay for this and I really don't want to pay for this. I can't pay for this. I hope that makes sense. That is really critical. If you get nothing else, please get that. Your faith is in vain. It is futile, it says. You've probably heard of placebo, sugar pills. You know, sugar pill, you feel better because you're like, oh, I'm taking good medicine. But if you have an infection, you need antibiotics, not a sugar pill, right? It's not going to kill any infection. Anyone that knows medicine, right? Sugar does not take it away, right? So you need the real thing. You need the real thing. People say, look at verse 19. It says, if Christ is only for this life, if we have hope only in this life, we are to be pitied more than any. Sure, you might feel good now, but you won't in the end. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All other religions, the Bible says, are false. I'm not saying it. The Bible is saying it very clearly. There is only one way to heaven, Jesus says. No other way will do. But as soon as a man dies, he's immediately in the presence of God. Remember, Jesus said this. There's a criminal that was dying beside him. He said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now we're talking about fearing death, or the death is defeated. Do you fear death? If you fear death, you're not alone. It's one of the most common, greatest fears people have. They fear death. If you're a believer, you do not have to fear death. In the same chapter, later in it, it says in 50. Um, four and following. It says, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thou victory? O death, where is thou sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gave us victory through the, our Lord Jesus Christ. You do not have to fear death. Now, some of you are older and you're thinking about this more. Some of you are younger and never think about it. You probably should. There are people that die at any age. You know this. You just look at the news. People die all the time, any age. You do not have to fear death. Because Jesus defeated death. Your faith is not futile because Jesus really rose. Just like in the pool, Jesus went down into death. He's coming out. So you come out too. The, um, let me tell you about a, a great preacher from a century ago, um, Donald Gray Barnhouse. Um, this is actually a really sad story. He's driving to his own wife's funeral. He's got his kids in the car, okay? So here's a man and his kids driving to bury his wife. And he's thinking, how do I comfort my kids? He's a preacher. He's saying, how do I comfort my kids? This huge truck, moving truck or something, comes by and passes him, casting a huge shadow across the street. And so a barnhouse looks at his kids and says um, to his daughter, um, would you rather be hit by the shadow or by the truck? Of course, the daughter says, by the shadow, daddy. And he said, um, Jesus um, was hit by the truck of death so that you and so that mommy would only be hit by the shadow. Isn't that good? You will all die, but it's only a shadow. You will immediately be in the presence of God. Jesus' death was brutal. It was awful. And he took all of our sins. He got hit by the truck. So we don't have to. You do not have to fear death. Death is defeated. The last implication is for this life, life has meaning. To be a Christian is not just fire insurance. It's not just a ticket out of hell. Yes, it does determine where you'll spend eternity. But what difference does it make right now? It makes all the difference in the world. Kids, I don't know if any of you are looking forward to family vacation this summer. You still have to do your work now, right? 
but you can look forward to it. Hope for the future does not change present circumstances, but it encourages you. You can look forward to something. Heaven does that too. Right now, no matter how bad your circumstances are, you can look forward and say they'll be done. Whether it's physical ailments, whether it's relational ailments, whether it's financial, whatever it is, you can have certainty and it really changes our attitude. The resurrection really changes everything, even this life now. Verse 32, a verse we didn't get to read because the chapter is too long. It says, if the dead are not raised, let us eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Yeah, you'd have no motivation to live a holy life. If there's no resurrection, let's just party. Right? Like, why come to church? Why, like, read the Bible and, like, obey all those commandments? Man, that preacher, man, he's going through these Ten Commandments. Skip that series. You don't need that. Right? It's true. If there is no resurrection of the dead, man, let's just go drinking and forget about all of it. Like, just have as much pleasure as you can at anyone's cost. There will be no judgment, no consequences. But there is a resurrection of the dead, and so we do have motivation. It really changes life right now. Do you believe that Jesus really rose from the dead 2,000 years ago? It really makes a difference. Your faith is not in vain. Christ really rose. My grandmother is French. She grew up during World War II in Nazi-occupied Paris. So in her apartment building, the first floor, guess who was there? A bunch of Nazis. So every time there's an air raid and a bombing, she was scared that they were going to bomb her building. Okay? So at the end of the war, do you know what happened? When um, Paris was liberated, who came streaming through the streets? The Allied troops, right? Came, and everyone's partying, right? Why? So my grandmother, my, my wonderful grandmother, went out and climbed on a tank. And she rode down the street on an Allied tank. Now, why would she do that? Why was she not scared for her life? Because she understood the implications of what was happening. If there are Allied troops all partying through the streets, the, my city must be liberated. Do you understand the implications of this event, of the resurrection? If Jesus is alive and walking around, you can have confidence in this life. You can climb on tanks. You can do whatever you want. Does that make sense? There really is safety. Understand the implications of what's happening. The gospel is true. It is absolutely true because of the resurrection of Christ. You can have great confidence in that. Jesus took every lash, every caning that you deserved, and he emerged victorious. The gospel is true. You can stand on top of that. Death is defeated because of the resurrection of Christ. You don't need to fear death. He was hit with a truck, and you're only going to be hit with a shadow. Don't fear death. Life has meaning because of the resurrection of Christ. Your life right now has meaning and significance. The resurrection changes everything. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that this is not made up. Thank you that this actually really happened. I pray that they would understand the implications of it. They would live like it's true. Just like my grandmother. She lived like their city was liberated. May we celebrate today as we celebrate Easter because it's real. May you take away their fear of death. May they hold to the gospel knowing they really will be saved. They have no fear of wrath, of paying for any of those sins because of the blood of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. Lord, I pray that for them and for my own heart. In the name of Christ.
Amen.